turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to read just a few verses in that in a few moments. A couple of points as usual, just the things that have happened during the week. You know, for those of us who are interested in biblical prophecy and the end times, here's an interesting piece from uh, China. China is suggesting a new world order and a one world currency to head off a global financial crisis. Again, very close, you know, to the one world government and the system, the economic system, which is foretold in the Bible. And here's what it says from Beijing. Reuters reported, threatened by a financial tsunami, the world must consider building a financial order no longer dependent on the United States, a leading Chinese state newspaper said last Wednesday. The commentary in the edition of the People's Daily said the collapse of Lehman Brothers holdings may argue an even larger independent global financial tsunami. In its pronouncements do not necessarily directly reflect leadership views, but this commentary by a professor at Shanghai's Tongki University suggested considerable official alarm at the stage the strains backing world financial markets. The world urgently needs to create a diversified currency and financial system and fair and just financial order that is not dependent on the United States. Vice Premier Wang Quishan, on a visit to the United States, told U.S. trade officials in a meeting on Tuesday that China and the United States needed to maintain close economic ties with global markets going through such turbulence. The Chinese government is well aware of the fact that the United States, which is the world's largest developed country, and China, which is the world's largest developing country, should have constructive and cooperative economic and trade relations. Lehman Brothers announced bankruptcy will not only have a domino effect on the global financial world, it will bring a shock to the whole world economic system. The front page article stated. So, they're suggesting, or this leading article is suggesting, a one-world economic banking system should come into place. Meanwhile, Tony Blair uh, has been suggesting something else. The following story is about Tony Blair's Faith Foundation, of which Rick Warren is on the advisory council. Tony Blair Faith Foundation launches search for 30 young ambassadors for the Millennium Development Goals. And this came from the Wall Street Journal. Tony Blair today 
launches an international search for 30 outstanding young people to serve as inter-religious ambassadors for the Millennium Development Goals. In spring 2009, these young activists aged between 18 and 25 will be selected to be the first Faiths Act Fellows. Faiths Act Fellows. Tony Blair said, the Faith Act Fellows will become ambassadors for interreligious cooperation in the fight against deaths from malaria and the accomplishment of the Millennium Development Goals. And you know, Rick Warren is in the middle of this, promoting this interreligious faith. And now here's an interesting thing that was in the, it's in Newsweek and the Washington Post. Rick Warren, interfaith activist, will go down in history as an interfaith activist. That's what they claim. And uh, the people I got this bit of information from Lighthouse Trails believes this is an accurate name for Rick Warren. He is an interfaith activist. More concerned about establishing a purpose-driven global kingdom than about warning the world of spiritual deception and the impeding dangers. Rick Warren has done an injustice to the gospel message of Jesus Christ all the while ridiculing, marginalizing and belittling the body of Christ. And anyone who has studied interspirituality, interfaith, knows the premise of it that all paths lead to God. Interspirituality rejects the words of Jesus Christ who said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Very dangerous man, this guy, required to the Church of God. Right, that's all. On that, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. The priest and Levites share. The priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall not eat, they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, and they shall give unto the priest the shoulder, and the two cheeks, and the maw, and the stump. The first fruits also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. And that's all we read just for the moment. You know, these verses provide a 
very interesting situation. It's an interesting aspect of the nourishing and the nourishment of the saints of God. We'll see the parallel later on. But the, the, the priests, the Levites, were to be nourished and kept well nourished in order to provide the service for God. You know, we've mentioned this before, we've observed this as we looked at Deuteronomy, that when people entered the Promised Land, it will be divided up between the various tribes. And we have that happening later on in Joshua's time. Where the Levites, the tribe of Levi, would receive no portion of the land. Why? Well, it says it here, the Lord was their inheritance. They were to be dedicated to the service of the Lord. In this aspect, whatever was God's inheritance was to be theirs. All of their sustenance had to come from God. He had, as it were, pledged to be their provider in a very special way. As they had no physical inheritance, they had to rely solely upon God for all things pertaining to life. They had no land. So they were dependent solely upon God. And as such, this is a picture or a type of the, the saints of God, people like you and me, as to how we should live our lives. You know, we sing that hymn quite often, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And it is true, or it should be true, of each one of us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've got a lively hope. And what is that hope? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. We have an inheritance. Our inheritance is from God. They said, his, He hath God as his inheritance. Our inheritance is a heavenly one. And because of that, while we're here on earth, we're kept by the power of God through faith. And that's the way the Levite had to live. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted in Jesus Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession 
unto the praise of his glory. We have received the Holy Spirit into our lives as the guarantee that we have an inheritance. Here on earth, no, in heaven. Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come, our inheritance. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We're only pilgrims down here. Our inheritance is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.20 now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ and instead be ye reconciled to God. We could keep going on like this. Our inheritance is not down here on earth. Our inheritance is in heaven. We are not of this world. Christ said when he prayed to us, they are not of this world. Our inheritance is in heaven. And let's not forget that. That's something, we can get that into our head. Our lives would be completely different. Like the Levites, our inheritance is totally dependent upon God. Our inheritance is totally heavenly. But do we act and live our lives with this truth constantly to the fore? You know, the only nourishment the Levites got came through God and as a result of the worship of God. There was no other way, there was no other plan as to how they were to be supported. There was no plan B. <laughs> There's only one plan. They were supported through their inheritance in God. Similarly, to you and to me as we live our lives, we are totally, or should be totally dependent on God for all things. You know, any earthly inheritance we have in this world, it may provide sort of fleeting satisfaction. And will provide something for our fleshly desires. But will never feed our spiritual desires. We, they will never satisfy and sustain us through our spiritual life here on earth. God has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ all things, all things for us, to enable us to be healthy and vigorous physically and spiritually in service for him. Listen to what Peter says, Second Peter 1 verse 3, listen, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He hath given us, according to his divine power, all things that 
pertain unto life and godliness. Romans 15 verse 17, Paul speaking, I have therefore whereof I made glory through Jesus Christ in those things that pertain to God. We can't glory in anything in this life, but we glory in things that pertain to Jesus Christ and to God. You know, a Levite couldn't look anywhere else except to God for his nourishment. But you know, that's the way we should live. How sadly at times we seek our nourishment in other places. In Psalm 141 verse 4 it says, Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. I didn't know that word was in, in the Old Testament. <laughs> but they will provide, the Satan will provide the dainties. And he's saying, let me not eat of their dainties. The only things that are, and we've said this so many times, as the Israelites went through the barren wilderness, there was nothing in that wilderness for, to sustain them. Everything had to come from God. And that's the way it should be as we go through this life. You know, the righteous man in Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You want to be an evergreen Christian? Well then, we have to feed on the living bread. <coughs> and what were these blessings in Deuteronomy 18? that the Levites received through the goodness of God. Through God's inheritance. Look at verse 3. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, and they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw, the stomach. The first fruits also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil. And the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. The modern translation says the, the American standard. Now this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, either an ox or a sheep, of which they shall give to the priest the shoulder, and the two cheeks, and the stomach. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine, and your oil, and the first shearing of the sheep. Now, let's look at this menu from a spiritual point of view that the Levites were going to receive from those who were worshipping. They only received this because 
worship had ascended to God, and God was then in turn, because the inheritance was in heaven, they then, God then passed down to these people the result of these spiritual gifts. The shoulder, the nice shoulder of lamb, is always very acceptable, isn't it? A bit of mint. But let's look at it. You know, the shoulder is a sign of strength. God will provide us with the strength we need to fulfill his service. You know, we have that lovely parable of the lost sheep. And when, when the, the shepherd found the sheep, he, wanted to, he laid it on his shoulders. The strength and comfort of that shepherd was there for that sheep. God will provide us with the strength to carry out and fulfill his tasks. We need strength to fulfill us, to nourish us, to, 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 to help us. Our Savior will carry us through times of difficulty on his shoulders. What did Paul say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God gives us strength. We cannot do things in our own strength. He will give us the strength and the ability and the power to carry out the service which he has entrusted to us. And that's why the psalmist could say, 16 verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be moved. Gives the strength to stay the course. What did Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is my strength. He will fill our lives with joy and gladness, and that will help us to go through life's difficult times. Look at Psalm 73 and verse 26. The psalmist has this exactly what we're talking about. My flesh and my heart faileth. For God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We are, the priests got the shoulders and as his portion, God will provide us with the strength as our portion forever. Now, the next thing he was getting, well, they were getting was the cheeks. The cheeks. Now, I know the cheeks contain the jaws, and the jaw helps us to, uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago, about chewing the cud and things like that. And we need to have good, a good jaw in order to chew the meat and to masticate the food, which is beneficial to us in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. The Word of God, when we listen to it, we should chew over it and think about it and meditate upon it. And we looked into all that a few weeks ago when we were talking about animals, the clean and the unclean animals. I was thinking about this last night as well. And I was reminded of the humility and the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ during his trial when he suffered 
physical abuse from the soldiers. It, it summed it up in Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And again, the teaching of a master when we feel that we have been badly done by. What did he say? To him that smites thee on the cheek, offer also the other. And from him that would take away thy garment, forbid not thy body coat also. Christ, in his suffering for you and for me, showed that wonderful attitude of permitting these men to pluck the hairs from his beard in order that he might go to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. He showed great humility permitting those men, the creator of the universe, to be abused by his creatures. And when we, we can get a lesson from that, when we will suffer at the hands of man, we have that lesson in humility. We'll have the strength to go through. We will not have to suffer as Christ suffered, but he has left us a wonderful example. And then we come to the maw, the stalk. How important the stomach is to our bodies. The Bible talks about some people whose God is their belly. But you know, it shouldn't be like that. It enables the food we eat to be digested and become useful to our bodies. How important that the right food goes down into our stomach. Sometimes you read of people who have taken something that they need to have their stomachs pumped out. You know, sometimes I think we, some of us maybe need to have our stomachs pumped out and all the rubbish that has gone into them taken out. And only the right food. Help us, may God help us to be easy, healthy in our eating, in our spiritual eating, and so that we can be vigorous in his service. All these things priests got and we spiritually have received them as well and, you know, I suppose as we looked at those first the first three mentioned there the shoulder, the cheeks and the stomach they're all dependent they're all dependent on the correct food being eaten to enable each to work actively if we start taking the wrong food we become bloaters in our stomachs and then the right things aren't going we get arthritis in our shoulders and and, and our cheeks become uh, bloaters and the body doesn't work properly. So we have to eat the right things in order for all those things to work. And then that's why we come to actually the next part of the menu. It says here in verse 4, The first fruits of also of thy corn, and of thy wine, and of thine oil, Stop there. The first fruits of thy corn and wine and oil. 
how necessary to present to God our first fruits. How wonderful that we receive in our lives the first fruits from God. Christ became the first fruits by being raised from the dead, and we then are blessed through him and receive all the blessings which we're talking about through Jesus Christ because he became the first fruits. Paul also tells us in Romans 8.23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We have all the benefits of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Corn, you know, corn speaks to us of the pure word of God. Jeremiah 23 and verse 28, where Jeremiah, and God through Jeremiah is speaking about false prophets, false teachers. Here's what it says. The prophet that hath the dream, let him tell the dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Faithfully. But he says, talking about these false ones who preached a false doctrine, what is chaff to the wheat? What is chaff to the wheat? God warns the false prophets. The people were being fed chaff and were not getting the pure corn. We must feed ourselves on the pure corn of the word of God. Go way back to, or forward to 2 Kings chapter 4. We have the story there of Elisha. Elisha came to Gilgal. And there was a famine in the land. There was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. They were sitting around. I can imagine the picture. Uh, pretty dreary, hungry, wanting something to eat. And Elisha looked around them. And he says... Let's have something to eat. Put on the big pot. And they had to go and start looking for something to put into the big pot. Some of them went out to gather herbs. And one fellow, he found a wild vine. He said, that looks good. Good to look at. He gathered it. And then he saw some gourds. And he, he filled He filled his lap with all these things. He brought them back and put them in the pot. <coughs> and it looked lovely, smelled good. And they started to eat it. Somebody cried out, There's death in the pot. There's death in the pot. So, what does Elisha do? He says, Bring meal. Bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and when they poured it out, the death was gone in the pot. We are today seeing a, 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 an explosion of false teaching in the churches. We've been reading bits about it over the weeks, week by week. We point out how the church is in decline. Churches are in decline. Why? Because they have collected all this old rubbish of stuff and put it into the pot. And it'll never be purified. It'll never be cleared. Unless we preach this clear, unadulterated word of God. That's the only thing that will get rid of the poison in churches today. 
small vines that people don't know anything about are being put into the pot and given to the people and there's death in the pot. We need our daily bread made from the corn and the wheat of the pure word of God. And then the next thing they put in was wine and oil. Wine and oil. Wine and oil. When Christ came to us in our broken situation, as the parable of the Good Samaritan, there was the man, sin sick, damaged, lying there at the side of the road, what they poured in oil and wine. Poured in oil and wine. We have received the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, into our lives when we accepted Christ as our Savior to comfort and lead us. And He desires that we will produce what He has given to us, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit showing that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we know those the fruit of the Spirit so well, but look at Galatians chapter Five and just read them once it will do us no harm to read them once again Galatians chapter 5 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering gentleness, goodness faithfulness meekness temperance against such there is no may we have that fruit in our lives, demonstrated day by day. The fruit of the Spirit. The wine. The wine which maketh glad the face of man. And oil to make his face to shine. Something like that. He wants us, God wants us to be well fed. And he has provided everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. He wants pure, healthy priests in his service and he has provided the wherewithal. Are we utilizing it in our spiritual bodies for his glory? And, and then the final thing, the first of the fleece of thy sheep woolen jumpers woolen garments for the priests as they went around their daily tasks you know there's a verse in Isaiah speaking of Israel God said I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decked for himself with ornaments and as a bride adoreth herself with her jewels, adoreth herself with her jewels. When the prodigal the son returned to his father, what did he do? He put a ring on his finger and he put robe, a new robe. Look at Revelation chapter three. We have the church in Laodicea. (coughs) 
verse 14, Gottsinvent. And this is a picture of the church as it is at the present day. They thought they were rich, increased with goods, and in need of nothing. And they didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And what did he counsel them? To buy gold and meal tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. Oh, wonderful that God has clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. And he was pleading for this church that they would be righteous to cover their nakedness their shame they needed eye salve to put on their eyes so that they could see things clearly as God sees them you know we, if we were invited to the palace and we arrived in our old suit and they didn't like it they provided us with a nice new suit to go to the queen our old suit would look pretty shabby. And that's what we try to do sometimes. We try to patch up ourselves instead of depending on the righteousness which God gives us. The robe of righteousness. To cover our nakedness. To cover our nakedness so that God can look on him and pardon me. That's what it is. When we are clothed with Christ, God then can look on us because we are clothed in his righteousness. May we be clothed and put on the righteousness of Christ daily as we go through this world. And there, there we have it. The, the menu which the Levites had as they went around their task in serving God. They had the strength of the shoulders. They had the, the, the way to treat people and walk in humility with the cheeks as well as using the cheeks to, 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 to chew up the word of God and to meditate upon it. And then we have to make sure that everything that goes into our, our, our stomach is nothing but the pure word of God. And then to feed on the, the corn of the land. To make sure we put nothing into the pot that will cause poison to those with whom we speak day by day. To show the fruit of the Spirit in our life. To show by our faces that we are sons of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then, that we should be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that we, in turn, can provide comfort and strength to those we come across day by day. Let us never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message we have. That's the only hope for the world. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. 
to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for therein, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. People want to see righteousness. They're fed up with shams. They're fed up with spin. They want the truth. And the only truth to be found in this world is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me.